We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a guest I have been looking forward to interviewing, joining us all the way from Nigeria, um, in his car, in fact, as we will discuss. Uh, This gentleman is a strong player, FIDE rated 2165, which means he is a top 25 player in Nigeria. He is 26 years of age, has a degree in computer science, and is also a musician, but he is best known as the founder of the Chess in Slums organization, an organization that introduces chess to kids in the slums in Lagos, Nigeria. They've been featured on BBC News and Al Jazeera. They've been getting sponsorship from Chess Kid, Chess.com. Uh, Grandmaster Simon Williams has been doing a lot to uh, help support the cause as well. And he's had a bit of a crazy week as his profile continues to rise, as we will discuss. Um, and Tunde, Tunde himself comes from the slums. Um, but without further ado, let's hear his story. Tunde Onokoya, how are you? Oh, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I mean, I've uh, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and uh, you know, I had hoped sometime that you know I'd be a guest on this. And uh, I mean, when you reached out, it was uh, it was a dream come true for me. <laughs> so happy to be here. Thank you, and uh, yeah. Well, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. I've I've been interested in your story all along, and it feels like your profile is just getting larger and larger. Could you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what's been going on in your life in the past week or so? Yeah, I mean, the past few weeks have been very overwhelming, being overwhelming for me. And uh, you know, um, so I mean, the crux of it was I I made a tweet. You know, I posted something on Twitter that kind of went viral. Uh, I mean, before then, I had maybe a thousand followers, but it just grew to almost ten thousand followers in in just two three days. And uh, the tweet was a story from one of our um, one of the kids, you know, that you know I got to meet through our training programs. And I mean, it was a very compelling story about how you know um, um, poverty you know, is deeply rooted in some of those places in some of the slum communities where there are a lot of vulnerable children. And um, in a way, I feel like a lot of people are disconnected from the realities of those people that live in those vulnerable communities. You know, so because I was able to shed some light by telling their stories, you know, really brought it to the attention of thousands of people. And I mean, I just shared it. And the next day I woke up, I saw thousands of notifications. I got more than 200 DMs, you know, or more than... It's 9,000 retweets on that particular tweet. And it's been crazy because a lot of people have reached out. And, uh, and yeah, people raised a crazy amount of money for the family. And, uh, you know, one thing that's for certain is that lives will never be the same again. So it's been overwhelming for me because I have to reply to a lot of messages and answer, you know, respond to a lot of people that are reaching out that want to know our story, know what Chess and Slums is about. And, you know, it's super exciting, and I'm glad that more people are really getting to know about, uh, you know, impactful stories and how we are really changing the world in our own space. So, yeah, crazy, but exciting. Yeah, yeah well, the attention is well-deserved. You do an amazing job telling these kids stories because for a lot of us here in in places like the United States, um, we can we can take our comfort for granted. And even if you see something like a statistic about, uh, people who live in poverty. When you see a picture and a story, it, it the the magnitude is amplified um, exponentially, and I think that's what you're experiencing. But it's great that you're not only sharing these stories, but actually working to make a difference um, in the community. And you you'd mentioned to me in the message that this has um that all this attention has altered your professional life. Could you could you go into that a bit, Tunde? Yeah, I mean. Um... I mean, my regular day is uh, me just, you know, getting on my virtual classes, you know. And, but uh, that has been very disrupted lately because I've been doing a lot of interviews. You know, for example, CNN reached out, you know, to do an interview about that story. And a couple of other blogs, you know, here in my country, you know, media houses and all of that. So I've been doing a lot of interviews, both in person and uh, online. So I've had to... Uh, so it's conflict, you know, there's a bit of a conflict with my job hours and having to show up for these things, having to respond to people, having to put in things in place for the children, you know, that I wrote the story about. So, um, you know, it brought me to a point where I had to really decide, you know, what I wanted to do because, um, 
you know, um, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and this year has been, you know, that year that the world, you know, is really getting to know about the phenomenal work we've been doing, you know, for the past two years, you know, silently. And uh, so it's, it's brought me to a place where I have to really make a decision on whether I want to pursue this full time, you know, dedicate, you know, my life to humanity, you know, to telling stories of these children, using chess as a tool, you know, to discover, you know, greatness. Because I've always been of the opinion that, you know, beauty, greatness can be found, you know, in the most unlikely places. And it is it is possible to do, you know, great things even from a small place. So that is the story of chess and slum. So I'm at that point where I had to decide whether to just pursue this, you know, full time. And just quit my job, and uh, yeah, I made a decision already, uh, and uh, I decided to to pursue this and you know see where it leads. So uh, it's still very uncertain. I don't know how things would pan out from here, but you know, um, this is what uh, this is what um, sets my soul on fire, and I'm willing to you know to keep doing this, you know, and there will be no regrets for sure. So yeah. That's that's an amazing story, Tunde. And as I messaged you on on Twitter uh, when we corresponded, I mean, not that you really need my advice, but I love the spirit of following your heart, especially since you're only 26. And uh, obviously, what you're doing again, it's it's making an impact in people's lives. And the fact that it's touching so many people is probably uh, sending you a message. So. Of course, I want to hear more about the Chess and Slums organization, Tunde, but I thought it might be good to begin just by tracing your own chess journey just a bit, um, because you're a strong player, and I've, I've read in other interviews you mentioned that um, chess is not super popular in Nigeria. So what? how did you um, discover chess? Okay, so um, I think when I was 11 years old, um, now the way the educational system works in Nigeria, we have the pre uh, preschool which is called uh, which is the kindergarten nursery then we have the primary school secondary school then university so after my primary school education i um so i had to stay home for about two years because um my parents things were really really bad at that time for my parents and you know, they didn't have enough money to send me and my brother to school so i had to stay home for two years you know, and um, so in that time, I was I was always at home. So there was this barber on the other side, you know, of our community. So I would always go there to play video games. I think it was the PlayStation 1 then, you know. So one day, he just brought out uh, a chessboard, you know, and uh, a small plastic chessboard. And I didn't know what it, what it was, you know. I was fascinated by the way the pieces were curved, you know, and I kept asking questions about it, that what is this? And it was like, oh, you're yeah, too small. That you, you can't know what this is. And you know, so because of that, I would I kept coming back there, and I would see him play with his friends that would come around. So they would play, and I would just I just kept watching. Eventually, I was able to pick up <clears throat> the names of the pieces and and how they moved. And um, and yeah, so that was my first uh, introduction to the game of chess. I was always very fascinated by the way you know they would sit down for several hours, you know, just thinking. And I mean, I would look at them like, why were they just thinking so much about this? <laughs> you know, and I mean, these are just plastic pieces. And uh, he, I remember he told me something then. He said, to me, these are plastic pieces, but, you know, to the mind of a chess player that he sees a charging army, you know. And so he explained that chess was like a battlefield of the mind, you know, where, you know, 
the white side is trying to capture the black king. And when he explained it like that, you know, that was the moment I really fell in love, you know, with chess. I was really young then and I would I kept coming. So when I eventually resumed school, you know, my school, fortunately, my school had a chess program because the owner of the school was the I think ambassador to Kenya, ambassador of Nigeria to Kenya. So he played chess competitively when he was young. So he had this annual tournament, you know, that was in his name. So our school had a chess program. So I got into the program and um you know, so I started playing chess. We even had it as a subject in our school at some point. So we'd write exams at the end of every term. You know, that was how, you know, I got into chess. And uh, I won my very first tournament, you know, just a few months, you know, after really learning. And yeah, that was what really sealed it for me. When I brought the trophy home, the whole community went bonkers because <laughs> uh, my, and my dad was extremely proud too. So we'd always show it off to his friends. And I also got a chess board as a prize. And yeah, so that was how I, I got into chess. That's awesome. And so you're getting to learn and learn by playing with your schoolmates and at, at your chess club. And, uh, you know, obviously early success tends to breed success and um, instill um, a love and a desire to learn more. So what what did you do to learn more about the game? Yeah, I mean, after, um, okay, it's equivalent is I, I think high school for, for you guys in the U.S. So after secondary school, high school, um, uh, I, I got into college. And by that time, you know, I was I was a fairly strong player already, you know. And um, so when I got into college, I got into college on a partial scholarship you know, because I could play chess. And uh, I represented the school team you know, in a couple of competitions. So when I was in college, uh, we won all gold medals for our night program, our poker games. And, um, you know, so that was where I really got into the deeper entry cases of the game because I had friends, my team members, they were equally passionate. I mean, most of the time, you know, we would stay up, you know, for several days just playing. You know, I was always fascinated, you know, about stories like Bobby Fischer, Gary Kasparov, Anatoly Kapov and Capablanca. So, and then we didn't really have access to the internet, you know, so, but we had some printouts, you know, then. So we'd always read about them. And I remember watching the documentary about, a documentary about Bobby Fischer, about how, you know, he loved the game and how, you know, the game, he left the game at the peak of his career. And I wanted to be strong like Bobby Fischer. So I, I went through all his games. <laughs> I remember reading through all his games, studied all his games. And uh, I mean, my friends were equally passionate. So we're always competing. You know, we wanted to be strong, really strong. We wanted to be really strong players. We wanted to go on to become the first, you know, grandmasters in West Africa. Because in Nigeria, there's no chess grandmaster. Even in West Africa, there's no chess grandmaster. I mean, in the entire world, there are only about five black grandmasters in the world. You know, and uh, I mean, the reason... You know, not necessarily because it has anything to do to do with um, the color of one's skin, but because chess, yeah, isn't seen as uh, as um, something that could that can put food on the table. Yeah, it's not seen as a means of livelihood. So because of that, you know, it is very hard to devote you know your entire life you know to just chess because there are very few tournaments. You know, um, in Nigeria, for example, in an entire year, there could be just one or two federated tournaments. 
So to really become a strong player and gain ratings, you know, become very ambitious and not to want to be a grandmaster, you have to travel a lot. You know, you have to really get a lot of funding to be able to do all of that. And uh, access to some of those things, yeah, is uh, pretty difficult. So I really wanted to be a grandmaster. I kept training really hard. You know, my peak FIDE rating was about 2197, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, so, but at some point I realized that it was going to be pretty difficult, you know, to keep chasing this ambition to be a grandmaster. You know, all the odds were obviously stacked up against me. So, um, after college, you know, I won a couple of tournaments and after college, I had to decide whether I wanted to really pursue chess as a career. I wanted to just focus, you know, on on my own, you know, career, and um, so I decided to give up chess at that point. Then came back to it later as a chess coach. So that was how my playing career progressed and and altered. Yeah, it's a it's a tough decision for everyone. The the at some point to transition from thinking of just maximizing one's own chess playing potential to thinking about how to work chess in with a career, but Obviously, what you found is um, is a great way to to involve chess in your life and maybe still work to improve. And you never know, maybe you'll find some more time now that you're able to devote more time to chess and slums. Maybe being immersed in the game will help. Um, so let's let's bring it forward to to chess in the slums. So you've been documenting this journey over the past couple of years on social media, of course. Um, we know each other from Twitter, but we should mention you also have a, a well-presented Instagram account. Um, and um, when did you first, like, what were the beginnings of the Chess and Slums organization? Yeah, I mean, um, I grew up in slum community because where I lived is a place in Lagos, Nigeria called Ikorodu, you know. So it's one of the worst, you know, slums, you know, in, in the world. And um, that was where I grew up. So growing up, we didn't have access to a lot of things. Remember I mentioned I had to stay at home for two years, you know, because my parents didn't really have, you know, enough, you know, to send me to school, you know, at that time. And yeah, it was pretty difficult, you know, growing up. But when I got into school eventually, you know, I found chess. And that was the one thing that made me see the world differently. It exposed me to to a different world. It exposed me to possibilities beyond the confines of my own community, you know. So I had access. I had more information because we'd always go out for tournaments. We'd always meet people from other places, you know. We'd always, you know, read about, you know, other people in, in other places in America. And uh, so I knew that there was a world that was much bigger than where I lived or where I grew up, you know. And, you know, learning chess helped me to see the world like that. So Chess and Slums tells a lot about my own personal story, where I came from, you know, and how it really started was after college, I, I, I stopped playing chess. So I just focused on, on music. So I was playing as a professional pianist and um, for some time. So um, I finished college in 2015. So I did that for like a year, you know, but then you know, chess, chess is an amazing game because it's a game that just keeps drawing you in, no matter how hard you try to stay away from it. And it just keeps drawing you back. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm sure we, are, <laughs> we can all definitely relate to this. Yeah, and uh, so I eventually had to yield to that call, not as a chess player anymore, 
you know, but as a coach. So I started, you know, by going to private schools, you know, and explaining that I wanted to introduce a much more inclusive chess program. And this time around, because chess, yeah, in Nigeria is uh, it's still a bit foreign because people don't really understand the benefits or the use. They just think it's a gambling game, you know. And, you know, I wanted to introduce it to private schools as an educational resource. You know, you know, beyond just having it as an extracurricular activity, I wanted it to be more as a subject, just like I was privileged, you know, to have, you know. But you know, a lot of schools that I approached really frowned at this, and uh, eventually I just settled, you know, for teaching chess, um, you know, as a, an extracurricular, you know, subject in some of the schools. And while it was very fulfilling, because you know, in those years that I worked, you know, in private schools teaching chess. I, I met more than 2,000 children, and it was the most, you know, fulfilling experience for me. I wasn't earning a lot, you know, but I was a little excited. I would wake up very early, you know, to go to schools. I would touch down about two or three schools in a day and you know, teach and, you know, get home very exhausted. You know, but I, would, I was fulfilled because, you know, children are, uh, uh, they have a beautiful mind. You know, they learn differently. You know, they were born in a time that, that is different from ours, you know, and teaching them chess you know, is a way for me to help them learn you know, not what to think, but how to think for themselves, you know. So I understood the beauty and the power of chess in education. So beyond just the game, you know, at the competitive level, you know, using it as a way, you know, to you know, inspire curiosity, you know, and I, I really enjoy the, the process of teaching. I kept doing it for two years, and um, I mean, eventually I had to quit because I wasn't earning enough, and you know, I was really struggling with my finances. So in twenty seven, in twenty eighteen, early twenty eighteen, I quit teaching chess in schools and uh, wanted to focus on doing a professional IT course. You know, then something happened, so I came back to the community where I grew up. You know, and uh, I looked around, I saw children. You know, it was a school day and I saw a lot of children in the streets walking. You know, they weren't going to school. And uh, I mean, it really broke my heart because I knew that for them, you know, it is it is because their parents could not afford to put them in school. That is why they have to do many old jobs, you know, be on the street to support their families at a really young age. And I, I felt that every child, you know, deserves an equal opportunity. You know, to build the kind of future they want, they want for themselves, not what circumstances you know would choose for them. So I, um, that was when I kept thinking about what I could do, you know, in my own capacity. I obviously didn't have any money because I had just quit my job and, you know, I was really doing nothing. I was trying to even raise money to do my professional IT course, you know. But then I remember that hey, you know, I I can teach chess, yeah, but I wasn't sure how teaching chess to children on the streets who put food on their table or made make their situations any better you know but then you know i i just kept thinking about it i kept thinking about it i remember watching queen of cartway during that period and um, it was about the girl from uganda fiona mutesi and the movie really inspired me to go on and just do this i wasn't sure where it was going to lead but i saw that chess changed the life of fiona mutesi changed my own life too then in a way it could maybe change the lives of some of those children you know, on the streets. And even if it doesn't, at least, you know, they would have one more thing to be hopeful about. Yeah. So I, I remember that day, I just picked a couple of chess boards, you know, with some of my friends, 
and we went to the community. Now, when we got there, we had about five chess boards and a demonstration board. So we just set it up and called about 10 children, you know, and before we knew it, we had more than 60 of them. They just kept calling our friends. They thought we wanted to share food. So before we knew it, we had almost 100 kids there. And I set up my demo board and set up the chess boards. And uh, I wasn't sure how to teach chess to children you know, who, can do, who couldn't understand English. I wasn't sure how to tell a child. You know, that I'd never seen the four walls of a classroom before, that a rook could move vertically and horizontally. You know, so I had to really break it down, you know, in their own dialect. And, you know, in just that one day, they were able to learn chess notation. You know, they were able to identify the squares and names of the squares. They were able to identify the pieces. They learned the basic movements of the pawn in just that one day. You know, and after that session, we, we bought food for them. You know, and they were so happy. I saw the excitement on their faces. And uh, when I got home that night, you know, I felt alive. It was the most exciting, you know, time. You know, I hadn't really felt that way in a, in a really long time. You know, and I saw that, the possibility of doing this. I saw that, man, these children are actually really smart. You know, look at them in just one day. They're showing great aptitude for this game. You know, but they are not in school. So maybe I could keep this up and keep teaching them every weekend, you know. And um, so then I decided I was going to do this. And I came back to the community. Uh, I, I met the leader of the community, the ballet, and told him that I wanted to do a project for three months to just teach kids there how to play chess. And if they become good enough, maybe I could take them out to compete. You know, I don't know. And he gave me his permission and he gave us a space just behind his palace, you know. And uh, so we just picked the date, September 1st. And we came there, me and my friends, and we started, we launched officially. And on that day, we had about 100 children turn up. And uh, it was a bit hard to control. But my friends volunteered and were able to set up. And we taught them chess on that day. And that was the beginning of the journey. So I remember quitting church. I used to play piano in church. I used to earn, you know, to play then. So and I had to be in church for rehearsals on Saturdays and Sundays. You know, and so I couldn't keep up with that anymore because I had to be in that some community on Saturday and Sunday. So 9 a.m. I'll go there on Saturdays, come back home by 5 p.m. On Sunday afternoons to after church, I would go there. And uh, it was just really beautiful getting to meet the children, getting to know their struggles, getting to really understand, you know, their reality. You know, was something I, I wasn't prepared for. I just wanted to come to church and just go. But being their chess coach, they started to trust me and they started coming to me with their problems. And they started telling me, you know, what was going on with them. And I couldn't help solve those problems because even myself, I didn't have enough you know, to, to survive. You know, so that was what led me to start writing, you know, stories. So I remember the very first story was about the sudden girl named Basirat. And she was this little girl we found, you know, she was five years old at the time. And uh, I remember she would always hold on to the queen piece whenever she saw, whenever we came with the chess pieces, and she would never want to let it go. So, so I carried her one day and I asked her that why did she like holding on to the queen piece? And she said because it is beautiful. It, that is that is in her own local dialect. And I, I, I asked her what she wanted to be in the future. And for the first time, she spoke English and she said she wanted to be a nurse. And I was, you know, fascinated about, you know, by this girl, you know, she had never been to school before, but she knew what it meant to be a nurse. 
And I mean, she had dreams and those dreams were valid. And I, I, when I got home on that day, I wrote about this little girl I found at our training center, whose name is Basera, who dared to dream, you know, despite, you know, the obvious limitations around her. And yeah, the story went viral on Facebook. It went super viral on Nas Daily. And someone reached out and said, wow, you know, I would like to sponsor this girl until she's done with her university education, you know. And uh, yeah, we went back to the community. We brought the good news to the mother and we found one of the best Montessori schools when we enrolled in that school. And um, yeah, so that was the beginning of Chess and Slums. We kept teaching them every weekend. The little girl got a scholarship just from sharing her stories. And I realized that I could share more you know, stories. And through that medium, more than 15 children got scholarships. I would always write about, oh, I met a certain boy today, Adekunle, one of the kids in our academy, or I met a certain boy to the poor. And people would see them on Facebook and reach out and say, oh, I would like to send that child to school. And that was how Chess and Slums was birthed. And that was how you know, the journey progressed from just me taking a few chess spots to the community to becoming, you know, a gateway to other opportunities, even for education. Amazing. Yeah, I remember that picture, of course. Um, I was one of the many people who saw it when it went viral. And listeners, I definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, the Chess and Slums social media. Even if you don't have a Twitter or a Facebook account, you can still access the links which i'll put in the show description and see the pictures of these kids so you mentioned the uh the modest beginnings and you know teaching these kids and uh then seeing like a swell of 100 kids um show an interest in chess but i'm curious today what is their initial reaction when you teach them so you talked about sort of the pedagogical aspect of like trying to um trying to teach how a rook moves but is there some is there some hesitance from the kids that it might be a waste of time or are they just happy to be exposed to the game and to be to be getting some attention yeah yeah i mean in my experience kids are always fascinated by chess you know it's an exciting game especially you know if it is taught by you know by a good teacher you know and um at first it was a bit difficult not even not from the kids themselves, but from the parents. Because the parents all wanted the kids to probably help them at home with selling stuff or help them hawk food items on the streets. So the kids being at our training center on weekends, you know, wasn't good for them because it wasn't going to put food on their table. So that was where, you know, we they had a bit of, you know, uh, a conflict and whether, because the, children, the parents didn't allow their kids to come. You know, so I had to always go to talk to the parents to make them understand that, you know, you know, there are great opportunities, you know, for the future of your kids. If they could learn this, be a part of our trainings. You know, I mean, eventually we couldn't convince everyone, but we were able to convince a large number of them to allow their kids, you know, be in our space, you know, on weekends to learn chess. And for the kids themselves, yes, at first, um, I mean, a lot of them only came because we gave them food <laughs> after our training session. So they only came because of the food. The ball, and, you know, chess is a captivating game. And um, and it, and what, however you progress, you know, the game is always a direct result or direct result of your hard work of the, you know, level or amount of work you put into it. You know, so the kids started getting better. I'd never seen, I mean, I taught chess for two years in private school, but I'd never seen kids improve at such remarkable, 
you know, with in very little time, you know, at such remarkable pace. It was almost unbelievable. In about just two months, you know, they they were already playing at an almost expert level. I mean, I'm a national master, so for me to have seen them progress to play, you know, in a certain way, I'd never seen that before. So I began to understand that for them, you know, they saw it as something that could really change their lives indeed. They saw that if they could really become good at this, you know, they could become anything they wanted. You know, chess is a it's 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 an easy game to learn, but it's a very complex game. You know, when you delve into its deeper intricacies, you know, and the children were willing to do the work. They were willing to get better. They would always talk about it. And you know, at first it was a struggle to pronounce the names of the pieces. I remember they would always call pun punt. You know, but I mean, a couple of months down the line, you know, you hear, you hear them using words like prophylaxis when we're doing analyses. And, you know, it's just beautiful to see how they transition, you know, from, you know, being, knowing nothing about the game, you know, and, you know, eventually, you know, it inspired a love of learning in them. Some of the kids that were out of school were able to get them off the streets and back into school. So they understood the value of education, the value of an educated mind. And chess was just the perfect way you know, to introduce that to them. Amazing stories, Tunde. I want to hear more about it. But first, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. This is your weekly reminder that Chessable.com has a ton of high-quality material. Whether you're looking to learn a certain opening, want to see the latest Super GM repertoire that has been published, want to find a tactics course appropriate for your level, whatever it may be, go to chessable.com and have a look around. Don't forget they have tons of cool free content too, like their short and sweet courses about various openings. And all of the things that they offer feature their proprietary move trainer technology, the secret sauce that lets you actually remember all of the new chess moves and opening sequences that you learn. So once again, chessable.com, check out their ever-expanding excellent library. So Tunde, it's great to hear about the passion that you see about the you see with these kids and the progress that you describe of how quickly they become strong chess players. Um, I know that uh, it was recently announced that there's a the, you've established a partnership with uh, Chess Kid, which of course is uh, the kids wing of Chess.com. Have you had a chance to incorporate that uh, with the kids? Are they able to access like online tools? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just the partnership with Chess Kid happened. Uh... A couple of months ago, uh, and very recently with Chess.com. Now, um, when I made the viral tweets about Basirat last year, sometime in May, because I really just became active on Twitter, I think April, May last year. You know, um, before then I was I, I used Facebook. You know, so someone just told me to you know, be more active on Twitter. And at first, you know, I I didn't really understand how Twitter worked. I mean, I'm grateful I got to join Twitter because I've been I've met some of the most amazing people, you know, through Twitter. So after that tweet about Basirat that went viral, um, Cheskid reached out to me and you know asked you know how we could you know work together you know to even scale to scale this even further. So that was when I met Cheskid CEO Karifan, you know, and um, meeting Cheskid really really changed a lot for us. Really changed. You know everything about chess and slums in terms of organizational structure and in terms of you know understanding what could even be possible you know what could be more possible you know beyond just having it in our local community you know and um so 
we now Chesskid has the best training resource you know in the world you know for children the best digital training resource in the world and for our kids to be able to access this you know due to the nature of the communities you know where we teach them internet is a problem to get internet into those places is a problem it is very expensive and now getting devices so i now realized that a lot of the children had never even seen a computer before you know and uh, i couldn't believe it at first but then it became clear to me that they really don't have access to a lot of things and nobody really seems to care you know the world is evolving you know 10 years from now will be a totally different place and how you know if we're not equipping these children you know with the right you know resources to to become relevant in that future then you know we are just setting them up for failure so i began to think about how we could digitize you know our learning process for the kids so they could have access to the so they could engage the use of the internet and in technology, you know, to play chess and do other things. So so when the pandemic happened and we couldn't be with the kids in person, you know, it was just obvious that that was what we needed to do. And when the discussion started happening, conversation with Chesky started happening, we started thinking about how we could get more resources. I remember we got about 10 iPads, you know, I began writing to a couple of people. We got some laptops, you know, and um, very recently, Chesskid helped us set up a GoFundMe, you know, and um, we've been able to raise, I think, over $16,000 now. So we've gotten a lot more laptops, resources, and iPads. So then we got iPads, and yeah, we were, the kids were able to start using Chesskid. You know, we created profiles for a lot of them. Chesskid even gave us access to thousands of gold accounts, you know, for free. And uh, the kids have started using it. And even the new beginners that are joining, so we just start with chess kit for them. You know, not only does it help, you know, their chess development, but it also helps their vocabulary, you know, learning English and, you know, understanding some of those things, you know, in English language, you know, has been super helpful for them. So we hope to get more digital, you know, training resources, more iPads, more computers, you know, for the kids so they could keep, you know, using the internet, you know, and technology to play chess you know, get more information and, and to connect with the world. And in September last year, we had our very first virtual match against the college chess team from the University um, of um, of California. So the director of the UC Merced team, chess team, Aaron Thompson, reached out to me on Twitter you know, and talked about, you know, having a match between our kids and, you know, their own team um, players. And at first... Um, I didn't know how that was going to be possible because we didn't have devices then, you know. But uh, when we got those devices, the match happened. It was six versus six, and we had it on chess.com. And the match ended in a draw. You know, the kids played against more experienced college team side, and they held them to a draw. You know, some of the games were phenomenal. And, you know, it just really goes to show how within the event, chess beyond borders, you know, because chess is a great way to connect you know, to people around us. And it is a game that bridges, you know, social gap, you know, you know, age disparities, gender, stere gender stereotypes. You know, with chess, if you have a chess board, you know, what matters is just you and the op and your opponent, you know, on the chess board. So we think the chess beyond borders because it was a way to bring both communities together. We from Nigeria and you know the team from UC Merced. And it ended in a draw. And we even, the kids did analysis together with some of the collecting players. They even showed them their community. So it was a beautiful moment, you know, to see how chess could bring them together. And for the very first time, 
the kids got to engage the use of the internet to play chess for the very first time. So that was how you know we we're able to you know use you know ChessKid and Chess.com to digitize you know our, our learning process for the kids. That's incredible to hear. And shout out that's that's great to hear that that Chess.com and ChessKid have uh have given that support. Um, and I'm sure. Um, is the GoFundMe still active, or if anyone listening wants to uh, kick in, uh, what what are the best ways to support uh, Chess and Slums? Yes, the GoFundMe is still active. You can probably follow me on um, on Twitter at Tunde underscore OD. So, um, or you could check out our, our Twitter page for for the organization Chess and Slums um, at Chess and Slums. Yes. So the GoFundMe is is pinned is the pinned to it the very first tweet you see on the page, so you could check it out or you could just search Chess for Education GoFundMe, yeah. So it's there. That is how we've gotten a lot of help through the GoFundMe page, a lot of support. You know, we've been able to uh, even enroll more kids. Now, I, initially we had about fifteen children on lifelong scholarship support. Now that number has increased to thirty. You know, we've been able to put more children on, from our academy, you know, back to school. We've been able to get more laptops and more iPads, you know, through the GoFundMe page. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done because um, there's a crisis in Nigeria, for example. More than 13 million children cannot afford to be in school. Nigeria accounts for one out of every five child in the world that can be in school. Yeah. So it's a tragedy, really, because um, for most of those children, what happens you know, in the next 10 years when they're not educated? You know, the only other script made available to them is to get into drugs or crimes and all of that. You know, and uh, it wouldn't be fair if they don't have an opportunity to reach that true potential, you know, because of poverty. Yeah. So chess and slums, you know, really hinges on three things. The chess aspect, you know, education, which is very important, you know, getting them off the streets, engaging their minds with chess and getting them back to school and uh, humanitarian services, telling their stories you know, and getting them, you know, help, you know, to change their lives. So if you donate, you know, to our GoFundMe, you know, we promise to make every single dollar count, you know, because there's a lot to be done. And ultimately, we hope to expand to other slum communities, even beyond Nigeria, you know, to other places in Africa too. So, so yeah, you can find it on our Chess and Slums page or just follow me on Twitter. You know, I would also share it on, on my Twitter. Yeah, and... I and I'll link to it as well to make it easy for everyone. Um, I've donated before and certainly will be doing so again. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our friends at chessmood.com. Chessmood.com has a comprehensive library that covers all phases of the game, opening, middle game, and end game. Their opening repertoire videos are very in-depth and cover everything you need to know about the openings that they have handpicked. They also have some great free content available, including Grandmaster Avtek Gregorian, their founder's blog, and the daily lessons with the Grandmaster, which you can find on their YouTube channel. So go to chessmoot.com and check out what they have to offer and be sure to subscribe to their YouTube as well. Let's get back to the interview. So Tunde, I don't know how, how well you're, how good you are at converting Nigerian money to dollars, but what would be the, the cost of living to send a kid to school or the typical monthly salary or something like that to give our listeners some context? So this is one thing we've been working on now, you know, as we're trying to set up structure to, 
you know, to expand in our operations to other slum communities. And uh, before I get into this, I would like to say thank you very much, Ben. You might not know this, but you were actually one of the very first people to ever donate to our GoFundMe page, you know. And um, and I mean, thank you so much for for contributing, you know, to to our growth and to the lives of these children, you know. And um, so yeah, for um, the it's equivalent to to Nigerian naira in for for a year. So this is how we broke it down. It cost about. Um, about eight hundred dollars to send a child to school for a year, you know. So because we enroll them in private schools, it costs about eight hundred eight hundred dollars to send one child to school, you know, for a year. So now this also involves um, getting them scholastic materials, you know, and um, getting them even laptops to you know to aid you know their learning. So so if you donate, um. um $200, for example, you'll be able to send that child to school for a term. So there are three terms in a year. So for an entire year, it costs $800 to send the child you know, to school for the entire year. So that is how we're going to include this in our, in our website. So if you donate $10, for example, we can get the child maybe school bags and in a couple of books. So we're going to break it down on our website so that people can know to what exactly they want to donate to. You know, because it's an all-round, um, um, it's an all-round um, experience for the children, both for their education, you know, and the resources that we need to keep learning, and for their chess development too. So we'll break it down on our on our website for everyone, you know, that wants to de donate, you know, particularly. And another thing we'll be doing is that we'll be putting up the profiles of the children from our academy. You know, like I've been doing you know, for the past couple of years, telling the individual stories. Because I feel like if people, you know, could really see what I see in these communities, they would be much more inclined to help. And like I said, you know, I, I think sometimes more people are a bit too detached, you know, from the realities, you know, of the children in these places. So they don't really know how bad it is or how bad poverty you know, it's really ruining so many lives. You know, our cycle of poverty has kept so many children and their parents in, in terrible conditions. So we'll be putting up profiles, you know, of the children in our academy that need help. And you could definitely read about them and decide to support them in any way that you can. Excellent. Yeah. And every little bit helps. Um, and Tunde, you've mentioned, so these kids have very tough circumstances, often nothing to eat and can't afford to go to school. Um, you've mentioned, I believe, at times on social media that some of the kids have ended up uh, living with you. Is that is that ongoing? Uh, is your living situation? Uh, what's your living situation like right now? I mean, I was just discussing with someone this morning because my house is is more like a food camp now. <laughs> <laughs> All these children, yeah. So I recently moved uh, into the community about like, that was last year, September. So I moved into the community because I wanted to be here with the kids. I wanted to be closer to them, be closer to the project. So, um, so when since I moved in, the kids that are on scholarship support, about fifteen of them, always come to my place. So after school, the school they attend isn't too far from my house, so they come down to my place after school. You know, so the reason why I'm doing this, you know, it's it it's, it doesn't really have a lot to do with what Chess and Storms organization is doing because 
we own we go to the communities every weekend to teach them so this is a bit more personal because i realized that once a week isn't really enough you know for you know what we're trying to achieve you know by impacting their lives yeah so they would always come by my place so after school they can read they can study they can do the assignments and you know i've also introduced them to coding they would also have our chess classes here you know because i realized there's also a need for them to learn other skills you know beyond just chess you know beyond just their academics you know because you know the world is all about skills and remember the dream is to prepare them you know for the future so any good day, any time you come to my house, you you can be sure to meet at least ten children <laughs> in the afternoon, you know, in the living room. You know, so we give them food too. So it's it's um, so yeah. I mean, sometimes I wish I had more personal space and time, but you know, I I would have it no other way. Really, I love having them around, and yeah. it gives me, you know, the opportunity to spend more time, you know, with them you know to keep mentoring them yeah. and uh and very recently the story i shared that went viral the two children we found stayed with me for about two weeks while we were trying to because we got a new apartment for them you know they used they were living on on the river you know in a small zinc container it was horrible i mean even an animal shouldn't live in that place you know that was when we found them so uh, i mean after the story went viral people raised a lot of money for them and we were able to get them you know, a flat, you know, in a much more serene environment. So while we were trying to put it together, the kids were at my place for about two weeks. But they'll be going back home tomorrow. So, yeah. That's amazing, Tunde. You're, I, it, I, I hope you appreciate all that you're doing for these kids. It's um, it's it's incredible to, to observe from a distance. And um, certainly I hope I and everyone listening i hope we'll do what we can to to support it have have there been any are you noticing a, a sort of broader um trend in chess like you're introducing it to so many kids um in in your local slum are you seeing any other organizations are you seeing chess played more commonly as a result yet yeah yeah i mean there's there's a chess culture now there's a budding chess culture in this community in this majidon ikorodi community so I remember we had an event for the kids, you know, sometime last year, you know, and so the kids got to teach the elders in the community. Even the king of the community himself got to learn how to play chess from the children, you know, themselves. So we had the event, I remember, by, just by the riverside, and we invited all the elders and the elders in the community. Even the kids invited some of their parents, and the kids taught them how to play chess on that day. We also invited career professionals, you know, architects, doctors, you know, engineers, because we realized that these children also have dreams, you know, to become the stand-up role models in society someday. So we invited some of those people, you know, to come learn how to play chess from the kids. And the ones that already play chess, we invited them to come play against the kids. The kids beat them very easily because <laughs> the kids are playing at an almost expert level. You know, so we do, we have events like that too. So there's a budding chess culture in the community already. And so we do that occasionally. We also, very recently, we started having monthly tournaments. We held, we had one just last week, Sunday, you know. So it to become a monthly affair with prizes, uh, about $100 in prizes. So the reason why we introduced this was that we wanted the children to know that it is also possible. I mean, apart from the intrinsic value chess offers in terms of 
creativity, critical thinking, and all of that, you know, they they can also play chess and earn from it. Yeah. So and that there's always going to be a reward for hard work. So the better you get at this game, you know, if you win the tournament, you'll be able to earn, make money to even support your family. So I mean, I remember the first prize won about the person that won the first prize in the senior category won about fifty dollars. You know, and that's a lot of money because Nigeria is in multidimensional poverty and the uh, more than 60% of the population live below $2 per day. Wow. You know, that is, you know, that is how bad it is. You know, for the children to be able to win as much as $50 you know, to support their parents, you know, it's something we hope to keep doing every month on a monthly basis, you know, sponsor monthly tournaments to $100 so they can win prizes support their parents and yeah hand from chess even as children so yeah so there's a budding you know law for the game in the community now because they've seen you know, its benefits and its impact over time over the past two three years and we hope to replicate this same blueprint across other slum communities you know in, in nigeria and you know across africa I remember I mentioned the statistic about 13 million children being out there on the streets, not in school, not doing anything. In our community, you have been able to train about 200 children with about, you know, 30 of them on scholarship. So there's still so much more that we could do. And with more resources, we can definitely impact a lot more lives using our programs, you know, in other places too. So, yeah. Oh, amazing to hear. All right, last thing, Tunde. So I know I, I, <clears throat> I saw your Lee Chess account. I believe you have a chess.com account too. I know that when uh, when uh, James Altucher, a well-known uh, podcaster slash businessman slash chess player, who of course was on Perpetual Chess a long time ago, he mentioned when he was doing a Twitch stream and looking for someone to play and you hopped on and played him. Um, I just missed that, unfortunately. And I'm, since I'm fans of both of you guys, I was bummed about that. But I'm curious if you have time for yourself. Do you still get to sneak in a few blitz games with all this going on, Tunde? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you don't catch me by maybe by this time playing on Lee Chess. So for me, I mean chess, I think I'm actually really talented because I haven't really put in a lot of work, you know, myself. You know, maybe when I was younger, I did put in a lot of work, but uh I mean my regular blitz rating on Lee Chess is about two, three, two, four. I think I eat two five oh six max when I was still playing really active. But these days, you know, I barely have any time, you know, to play chess in online. But I still, you know, hoping my ratings to fluctuate of around two three two four. I only play blitz now because, you know, there's a lot of cheating and uh, playing rapid games. You know, you are more likely to play a cheater who has more time, you know, to, to to cheat. So I just play blitz games or bullet games sometimes. And yeah, when I played James Altucher, um, so he, he put out on Twitter that I was, you know, playing a few chess games. And I think I'd read about him some time ago. You know, I even think he was, he was I think he's a national master of chess. In yeah, the US. yes. Yeah. So so I played, it was a Petrov. Um, so he played the Petrov defense. Um, I think Stafford Gambit. So I, apparently he had been getting lessons, taking lessons from... I am Eric Crossan. So, yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to play the Stafford Gambit. So after e4, e5, knight f3, knight f6, and I knight times e5. So when you play knight c6, I just brought back my knight to f3 because I didn't really check the lines. So I wasn't sure. So I didn't want to get into all that. <laughs> right. So I just came back. And so uh, I won the game. I mean, 
Uh, but it, uh, it, was, it was a very interesting game. And during our charity fundraiser, I also beat Ginger GM. We played a match, a two-game match. The first one ended in a draw, and I beat him in the second wow, game. Wow, <laughs> man. So sometimes when I have my good, game, good days, I could play really strongly. But most of the time, I just play very badly. But, nah. but yeah, so you can catch me on Lee Chess at Gifted Ends. Gifted Ends. I don't play very regularly on Chess.com. But now that I have a diamond membership account, CutsyChess.com, you know, not just me, all every team member, every Chess and Slums team member will be getting one. I would have access to a lot of, you know, amazing resources, you know, from the partnership. So I'll definitely be playing a lot more on Chess.com now. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I maybe someday I would even get into Twitch streaming, you know, but the internet here isn't um, as fluid. So, but I mean, we'll see. I want to do more chess. I've started using Chessable recently, you know, to train. You know, the courses are amazing. Yeah. I took Ninja GM's, you know, Iron um, English course. You know, I've been doing that, and you know, maybe, maybe I still have some years I could devote to chess and maybe even get an international master title. But I'm not so keen on that right now. I'm much more focused now on the Chess and Slums project. I quit my job recently as a chess coach, you know, to really focus on uh, the Chess and Slums project. And I have, you know, more time on my hands and I'm just excited. I can't wait to see where this leads. And you told me something last week. You said when you're young, you know, you you know, it is good to always follow your impulses. So a lot of this is me just following my impulses. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Interesting that, time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your professional impulses at least. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah, well that, <laughs> yeah. Fair um, enough. Awesome. Well, I would love, of course, Tunde to see you get the IM title and I think you could do it. I mean, you've got some impressive blitz ratings, as you've said, but what you're doing is so much bigger than that. So um, again, just want to thank you and, and can't wait to see uh, how this story unfolds over the uh, coming years. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And before I leave, I want to share something about uh, our culture that, you know, um, I think more people, you know, should know about, you know, your, your amazing listeners. So it's called Ubuntu. You know, it's, um, it's something that it's my own philosophy for life and something that has helped me, you know, to still stay grounded, you know, even when things got really difficult. I mean, now we are getting a lot of attention, you know, partnerships and all of that. I mean, there's no end to, to this, you know, more opportunities keep coming. But in those two quiet years when nothing happened and, you know, I would just wake up and go down there with the kids and no one really knew what we were doing. You know, it was really difficult and there were so many times when I wanted to give up. But one thing that kept me going is Ubuntu. So the concept of Ubuntu is an African philosophy and a very important part of our culture you know, that places emphasis on being self through others. Ubuntu is the true essence of being human and how we can't individually perform at our greatest capacity if all links within a circle aren't performing at their best too. You know, that I can't be all I can be except you are all you can be because the better you are, you know, the better I am. So that has always been my philosophy, you know, about leaving the best part of me you know, with the children that I meet every day. I hope to meet more children over on the course you know, of this journey to help tell their stories to the world. You know, as I'm building influence, you know, you know, to use that influence, you know, as a force for good in the world through chess. 
as a medium. So this is what really keeps me going. This is what drives me, you know, that one life can directly impact another. And um, I consider this my superpower. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm way beyond the point where I could never give up now because you know, a lot depends on it. And I know that the success of this project would ultimately decide, you know, the lives and the future of so many children out there. So, so yeah. Wow. Excellent. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Okay. Um, all right. Well, inspiring words, Tunde, and an um, inspiring life you're leading. So thank you for taking the time from what was already a hectic life and has been even more hectic in the past week. So um, re really appreciate it and I uh, can't wait to see uh, how, how things develop. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Dream come true for me, totally. <laughs> well, it won't be the last. Everyone. Happy to do it again in a couple of years. Just keep keep grinding. Um, I would love to hear this story, Tunde. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can't wait for when this comes out so I can share with, with everyone. Big shout out to Matthew Passy, my producer, been helping us for over four years. Much appreciated as always. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show, whether it be by word of mouth or a positive review on a podcast platform. I can't even keep track of all the platforms anymore, but every review is appreciated. I also wanted to remind you guys, you are always welcome to follow me or Perpetual Chess on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Beneficial1. That's where I'm most active. We also have the Perpetual Chess Facebook group where we post every episode and sometimes the guests chime in to continue the conversation. The Perpetual Chess Instagram page is unretired. Follow us at Perpetual Chess where we post weekly clips. If you would like to email me, the easiest way is ben at perpetualchesspod.com. Also, of course, want to thank our sponsors, chessable.com and ChessAim and ChessMood. Thanks for helping the cause, guys. Much appreciated and great products that I'm proud to be affiliated with. Last but not least, of course, I want to thank all of our Patreon and PayPal supporters. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Alharji, Andrew Bach, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel He, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Ewan Richardson, Farhan Thawar, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Galuk, Guvin Manet, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jeff Martinson, Jens Green, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromartie, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Cell, The King's Crusher YouTube channel, one of the OGs of Chess YouTube, Lucio Casada Silva, The Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerdnays Twitch channel, Peter Sodi, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Reverend Roy Fry, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gearson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, the Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, 
Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alan and Maggie Sue, Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, FM Andre Terakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Chad Hilton, Chess Patzer Spain, I'm not sure if that one's a real name, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Corey Budson, Costa Caras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Bleskoschek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dennis Parrish, Dirk Durker, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Emmanuel Langua Robitai, Ethan Smith, Hallelujah Cat, Ian Mason, Indrek Ryland, Felipe Melo Pereira, Fox Valley Chess Club, Francis Latart Lavoie, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vanderveld, Gene Stewart, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Schut, Harish Renivasan, Howard Vihan, Jacob Kovac, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John Tully, Juan Almagar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, Jeff Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joe Rocky, John Thompson, Josh Fridell, Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, Kior Gata of the Lakeshore Chess Club, I am Kostya Kovutsky of the Chess Dojo. Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco, Matthias Plock, Mechanics Institute of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gabel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Nigmat Mulajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Robert Tichy, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Seth Ruzica, Shane Unger, Silver Knights Enrichment, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatyav Abrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, as always, for the support, everyone. I will catch you guys all next week. Podcast Network. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.